0: Hello and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. And I was thinking about around Christmas time, you hear the phrase, He's the reason for the season. And you don't hear that around resurrection season. And I I wonder why not? He's the reason for this season. And amid all the distractions that we will begin to experience over the next couple of weeks, I thought we would come back to the center of the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that, that hinders and the sin that so easily yes. entangles. And let us run with perseverance yes. this race that is marked out before yes. us. Run it with perseverance, this incredible race marked out before us. And in verse 2, he says, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Right. The author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, He endured the cross, scorning or disregarding its shame, and now He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Verse 3, He says, "'Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart.'" Crucifixion itself, as we're well aware of, was a physically horrible experience. And we're quite familiar to some degree of the physical nature of crucifixion. Maybe we've seen it in movies, we've seen it in videos, We, in our mind's eye we've developed what the crucifixion of a person might have looked like. But, but I don't think we can actually get the full sense. There's just no way to get the full sense of a crucifixion but what we do know is that that a person or a victim that was going to be crucified at least in the Roman world they were scourged and that led to some type of maiming that led to hemorrhaging that led to dehydration that dehydration led to what is what is often known as hypovolemic shock where there's not enough fluid in the body for the heart to pump blood into the important organs. A victim, we know, was crucified in the elements. It was often believed that these victims that were crucified in these elements, that, that insects and other types of animals would come and make their way and attach themselves to the victim. A person who was crucified might live anywhere from six hours to a few days. Generally, a person on the cross died either from suffocation or from cardiac arrest. But that's not what I want us to observe. I want us to observe what the writer of Hebrews intentionally brings to light, and that is not the physical pain of a crucifixion, but but I want to talk about the psychological shame of being crucified. He says specifically in verse 2 that Jesus disregarded the shame. Disregarded the shame. Who among us hasn't felt shame? We we understand shame to some degree. We, We understand guilt and we understand shame. Guilt says, I did something that was wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. There's a, there's a difference there between guilt and shame. And so when we understand shame, we begin to understand this feeling of, of brokenness and an, an unworthiness in our lives. And we as humans, we, we feel that sensation. And, and I know you have felt it. I know maybe someone, unfortunately, in your journey of life said, shame on You. And it stuck. So we understand this, this, what I would call maybe the psychological element of the cross that isn't talked about that often, but the writer of Hebrews, he brings it to the surface and he specifically mentions the shame of the cross. The scripture says that he disregarded the shame, is that he made little uh, of the shame. And as you think about the power of that statement, that he disregarded the shame. And what that meant, the cross was the ultimate tool of shame. It was why it was invented, not just for the the physical torture and to send a statement, but the ultimate goal of the cross was to shame the victim. Imagine. Imagine. And and in Jesus, we see the the total loss of dignity and, and decency. In Jesus and other criminals that, and, and other people crucified on the cross and in the crucifixion. And then what's happening here is, is that we see this, this shameful public expression of a person being crucified naked. Now, I want you to think about that just for a moment. Think about what that meant and what that would have felt like and what that would have sounded like just to be at the foot of a cross where there is a person hanging publicly. Think about the friends that are at the foot of that cross. Think about the family standing at the foot of a cross, gazing upon a, a crucified body. In some ways, it's hard to really think about. It's hard to picture. It's, it's hard to grasp what it would have looked like to stand at the foot of a cross of someone who would, had been crucified and publicly shamed. And and here is the Son of God, our Savior, God's perfect expression of love, of forgiveness, of hope, of mercy, of grace, of compassion. Now he's nailed to a cross. And the writer of Hebrews says he's nailed to this cross, and as he is nailed there, he is disregarding its shame. It's a powerful, powerful truth that our Savior, as He he finds Himself a part of the redemptive plan of God on a cross, is now disregarding the shame of that cross. I think it's in understanding how He disregards that shame that we begin to experience the extent of His love. He willingly, He willingly disregarded that shame. And in that disregard of that shame, we began to see His love for us. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? Pastor Rod talked about it. Gregory touched on it last week. It's It's the story of a father who publicly, intentionally humiliates himself for his wayward son. And that's what we have in the crucifixion. We used to sing a, a song called The Old Rugged Cross. It was the emblem, say it with me, of suffering and shame. But in the horror of the crucifixion, in the horror of the cross, there's this element that hope begins to arise in the horror of a crucifixion. Hope begins to arise, and we see this hope found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, Galatians 3, 10 through 13. Here is Paul writing and he says this, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12, he says, The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Notice verse 13. Here is the hope of the crucifixion. Notice what he says in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Look at this by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone. Who is hung on a tree. Here, Paul is quoting a passage out of Deuteronomy. He goes on to say in verse 14 He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. <laughs> in, in the horror and the shame and the pain of crucifixion, hope emerges, hope arises. And it's a powerful idea where Paul says that you have been redeemed. You have been redeemed. What a rich, powerful, significant word. I can remember one of the first times that I began to just begin to understand redemption just a little bit, just a little bit of redemption. I, I remember I was, uh, I was in seminary and I was taking a New Testament class and I had a professor and and we were in the, going through the book of Romans and, and he stood up that day and he began to talk about Romans 3, 23 and 24, the element of redemption in relationship uh, to Jesus' work on Calvary's cross. And my professor, I don't know how old he was at the time. I mean, he was a little bit more mature than I was, maybe 70s. But man, he was just wrecked when he began to talk about redemption. He just could not believe the beauty and the power and the love and the grace that's found in redemption. And so he just kind of cried and mumbled and bumbled and stumbled his way through the element of redemption. The word means to buy back. It means to purchase. Now, in the first century, we know that it was often used in the slave market, right? Where you could purchase a slave and then that became your slave. But how it's used in the New Testament in that, in that light is that it's as if that Jesus with his, his redemptive work on Calvary's cross and in that work, he purchased his people, and he bought us back and, he, and then he set us free it's the beauty of redemption. One commentator uh, takes it like this. He says it was sometimes used when when one country would would attack a neighboring nation and they would conquer them, and then they would they would pick and choose the, the people they wanted to bring back to the homeland to begin living as slaves. and then he said what they would do is that the nation that had been conquered would would sometimes do everything within their power to make their way back into the nation that had conquered them and redeem their people and bring them back home. He has redeemed us. How did he do it? By becoming a curse for us. Now, he just didn't have the curse of God laid on him. And the curse here, I believe, is is our inability to live up to God's law, which brings judgment. And condemnation. So so the curse wasn't laid upon Jesus. The, The context of the Greek New Testament says this. He uses a word that means that it's something that never was that came into being. Jesus did not just wear the curse. The curse was not laid upon him. The scripture teaches he became a curse for us. It's a powerful, powerful understanding. He became the curse for us on the cross. Christ became the accursed of God. R.C. Sproul says it this way. After he, speaking of Jesus, became the scapegoat and the Father had imputed to him every sin of every one of his people, the most intense, dense concentration of evil ever experienced on this planet was exhibited. Jesus was the Ultimate obscenity. Jesus was the ultimate obscenity. Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Me. Jesus hung on that cross to demonstrate a covenantal curse that was on you and I it, 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 it rested upon him for our sake this, this covenantal curse that Jesus experienced on the cross it's that the, the innocent blessed son of God became a curse, became a curse that you and I, when we bow a knee and we surrender to this Jesus, we are no longer under that curse. It's a powerful thing to think about that that Jesus suffered the unspeakable wrath of God on that cross. In fact, one theologian believes this, that Jesus did not even feel the physical pain. Because of the depth of the wrath of God that he experienced on the cross. Could it be that that's how he disregarded the shame? Could it be that he disregarded the shame to show us the extent of his love? This is an excruciating, excruciating process. In fact, the word excruciating came out of crucifixion. The word means out of the cross. So when we say excruciating pain, that word came out of the crucifixion. But it wasn't the pain, the physical pain, which we cannot begin to imagine, and the psychological shame. Some believe there was so much weight from the wrath of God he was experiencing as the curse, that those things, while important and seriousness, that the wrath of God was what he felt the most. Uh, Let me give you, or let's talk about a few takeaways. First of all, Jesus is the cure for our curse. Amen? Amen? We don't see ourselves as cursed. Too often, too many of us see ourselves as good people. Good people. We don't see the biblical reality of our lives in love to begin to understand that that we can't keep the law that's what Paul's talking about Galatians you can't keep the law give it a shot you can't keep the law you and I have the ability to break the law before you lay your head down tonight in some element some way and those of you who are amazing by noon tomorrow you're probably going to violate something right so that, that, that's, the, that's the curse. That's, that's the judgment of God. And, and, and those words were like, those are harsh words. But it, it's true. Paul says we are under a curse. And Jesus, He, he is the cure. He, he took that curse and, and He laid it upon Himself and, and, and He became the curse. We are guilty. We all stand in need of God's grace. And friends, when we don't understand the depth and the seriousness of this element of curse and judgment that Paul mentions in Galatians 3, because we're not unable to keep the law, we'll never never understand the power of salvation. We'll never understand it. Ephesians, Paul says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves, lest anyone can boast. Have you crossed the line of faith? and said yes to Jesus. The, the second thing that I want to just point out is this element of, I think Jesus replaces the believer's shame with honor. Uh, this is kind of a new thing I, I've been thinking through, and, 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 and I think he replaces our shame with honor. Uh, so for example, in, in the book of Colossians, I'm going to turn there, it's going to be on the screen, Colossians chapter... Uh, 3 verses 1 through 3, listen to these scriptures. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Where at? Where is He seated? At the right hand of God, right? Hebrews says the very same thing, at the right hand of God. By the way, the right hand of God is a place of honor, dignity, power, authority, That's where Jesus is seated. Would you agree? Paul says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Notice verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Here it is. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We've been raised with him. We're hidden with him. As he is at the right hand of the Father, we experience that place of honor. And so the shame that that the enemy wants to bring on our lives, and he does it very well, does he not? He loves to bring shame. He loves to bring shame, and so often we embrace that shame. It's, it's an element of brokenness in our lives where we're still, even if we are followers of Jesus and, and we understand that, that we've, been ra- we've already been raised with Him, where it's seated at the right hand of the Father, a place of honor and dignity, there are still times in our lives where we receive that shame and we experience that brokenness and we feel that unworthiness. Is that fair to say? Sure. But understand, Jesus nailed that shame to that cross. And you and I no longer have to walk in that shame. It's a powerful thing. And the last thing, a little bit more of a practical thing I wanted to show you out of Hebrews chapter 12 is that Jesus, he faced this cross with unrestrained joy. Okay, so here's what I want to show you is that life is tough, is it not? You probably have something right now that you're, you're worried about, you're thinking about. Maybe you're experiencing something that, that you're like, man, I I don't know how. I don't know how I'm going to possibly face it, make it through it, be able to. I want us to do what Jesus is. Remember last week there was a verse out of uh, Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, I want you to learn from me. You remember that? Come unto me all you are laden, heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. I want you to learn from me. So let's learn from him just for a moment. Notice how Jesus went through this process of enduring the cross. He did it by the joy set before Him, right? By the joy set before Him. Think about that. That, That's how he, He endured the cross. It was the joy. What was the joy? It was the Father's redemptive plan. Joy is directly tied to our obedience to God's plan for our lives. You want to experience joy? Let's be obedient. Scripture says in in Philippians two eighteen, that Jesus became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Say that with me: even death on a cross. Jesus became obedient, even unto death on a cross. This is how we face the difficulties and the challenges of life. It's with joy with understanding this thing is difficult. Whatever you're experiencing, yeah, it may not be what you want it to be, but understand that that whatever's on the other side of that, when you're obedient to the Father, you'll experience joy in it. Does that make sense? It's a very incredible thing that we see out of Hebrews chapter 12. When we walk in obedience, we walk in joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I, I thought about it uh, just a little bit of a corny illustration. If you've been here, you understand I'm pretty good at corny illustrations, right? Uh, this morning I was taking a little, a little bike ride and uh, kind of toward the end of the ride, I'm like, why do I do this? This is silliness. I'm too old to be doing this. And I was kind of complaining to myself and... Uh, you probably do that sometimes right you're like what what now why am i doing this again i was right and then i begin to think about something i begin to think about when i get back home i'm going to have this amazing tasting protein shake i get this amazing protein stuff and i think this one tastes like pancake mix and uh that's what i begin to think about i'm like man this hurts i don't know why i do this i got to stop doing this but when i get home I'm going to enjoy a wonderful tasting protein shake for the joy set before me with the silliness of a protein shake that kind of pushed me through the struggle of the moment. It's exactly not the same. Same idea with Jesus, right? There is a joy in the Father's house. He knew what was coming, and that joy gave him the strength to face Calvary's cross. It's a powerful, powerful idea. I just want to encourage you tonight that in the midst of the next couple weeks, you're going to be bombarded with things. Even from churches, right? We all we all get a little crazy in the next couple weeks, right? Our Facebook stuff blows up, we got signs, we got banners, we fly planes, we a bunch of craziness. And it's okay, just because we want people to know that's Jesus. But in the midst of all that, I encourage you, take some time to dig a little deeper into the redemptive work on Calvary's cross. Understand redemption. I encourage you to study redemption. I encourage you to study exactly what happened on Calvary's cross, what Jesus did, and what it means for you and I because I am convinced that if we believers begin to understand a little deeper of what the cross was about and God's redemptive work, we will passionately love and follow this Jesus we begin to understand his love. Why in the world would the perfect sinless son of God why would he disregard the shame because he loves you and I. Right. He loves you and I. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for our time together. The time to come to your table to remember. Oh God, help us to remember. Help us to remember the depth of your love that's pictured in Calvary's cross. I hear the words of R.C. Sproul speaking about the obscenity of Jesus. Hanging on a cross as a reprehensible criminal. Reprehensible. Hanging there, not just for the world to see, but for his loved ones to see. His best friends. So Father, he, he, he understands shame deeper than we do. He gets it much better than we do. But yet he chose to disregard the shame that a few people 2,000 years later in Peoria, Arizona, will gather in a small room because He disregarded the shame. That because over 2,000 years ago, this Jesus who hung naked on this cross is a reprehensible sinner, taking the wrath of God, I should say, taking the wrath of God, the sin of humanity upon Himself, that we could find this new life this new covenant that Paul speaks about cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree father jesus is the cure for our curse we celebrate that we embrace that so lord we want to leave this room as people who experienced the freedom of redemption Not the freedom to live as we want to live, but the freedom to live in obedience to you, Father. Your plan, your word, your redemptive work in our lives. We give you the glory, we give you the honor. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.